Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Ryan Carver. I'm one of the pastors here at Gulf Coast, and I'm excited to be able to bring the word this, this week. It was actually uh, Jerry and Donna's anniversary this week, and uh, yeah. So, yeah, they were supposed to be away, and uh, Jerry got six after Don, Donna got six, so rain check on that, right? So I'm glad you guys are here this morning. Gulf Coast, uh, let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, today is a day where we all gather as your people. You have brought us together in Christ. We give you praise for that. We just celebrate. We celebrate those who are to the left of us and to the right of us, in front of us and behind us. We celebrate that you are doing a reconciling work. You are renewing your creation, you're renewing us. You're renewing us together in our relationships. God, as we approach your word, would, would those truths come alive to us even more? And may they fuel us, God. We have one life to live for your glory. So would you, would you teach us and shape us and lead us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's this story, this funny story about two, two young fish. They're swimming along, and they pass an older fish. And the older fish is like, hey, how's the water? And, they, you know, the two younger fish swim off, and they're like, what the heck is water? And, and, you know, and I was thinking about that, and I was like, how'd the older fish know what water was, and I, I think he got, you know, tossed up on the shore, or some fisherman caught him, he's like, ah, what is this, you know, and so he had some experience, he got outside of his reality for, or what he thought was reality for a time, so just as a fish is unaware of the water it swims in, even as individuals, we can be unaware of the cultural influences that surround us, that, that influence our lives, see, culture shapes into every Every aspect of our existence, from our language, from our customs, from our traditions, our values, our beliefs, it, it's like a lens uh, which we see the world. This, there's this cultural influence that, that, that tweaks our perceptions, it, it tweaks our beliefs, it tweaks our interpretations of reality, often sometimes in a way that we don't realize because it's everywhere. We're swimming in this culture. And there's a culture of individualism right now. It's, it's, it, it's, it's rampant. And not, every, not all of it's bad. I mean, it's good that we're individuals and there's liberty and these things. But New York Times columnist Paul Krugman, in a piece titled The Cult of Selfishness is Killing America, speaks about how too many Americans now subscribe to the positive power of greed and the innate belief that everyone is better off when they pursue their own self-interest. Fuels a lot of TikTok videos, fuels a lot of um, marketing Brene Brown is a pre-election, uh, in, a, in this interview, a pre-election podcast with uh, President Joe Biden, proclaimed that America's tombstone would be inscribed with the phrase, death by rugged individualism. So people are, are realizing this, though it's everywhere. We might say we know it, but we don't always see it. Uh, currently, our culture celebrates individualistic self-expression. It goes something like this. Every single person has the right to feel, believe, and think about themselves however they choose. You're free to express yourself. You must express yourself. Forget about what everyone else thinks. Forget about any moral compass of right, and wrong, right or wrong. 
Life is about you and your fulfillment. You need to find yourself and express the desires you find. That messaging is in everything. Really, at the center, to the extreme, it says, I'm the center of the universe, and I'm God. I come first. So this culture of individualism, it's affected us all, and I would even suggest that it has affected how we view and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And so my story, even, is, is that I was raised in the church. I, I, my parents tried to, to, to give me some sort of understanding of Jesus, and they were faithful to take me, but I had never really learned about the gospel in its entirety. Actually, I, I was converted by uh, being scared uh, to, for, to go to hell. Who wants to go to hell? And the guy said, if you're 99%, uh, if you're only 99% sure you're not going you better pray a prayer because nobody wants to go there. So I prayed a prayer. I was scared so out of, out of hell into heaven. I was scared into Jesus. Right? And so my, my early days of, of knowing Jesus were sort of out of, uh, I have to do this so that I don't go there. And that was the, the early days of, 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 of what I experienced of Jesus. Even that filter of of there's a God who will punish me for my sin and I have to somehow get my way in because I will die one day. It, was, it, it continued over and over and over again in my life. And many of us have grown up with what could be called a two-chapter gospel. Chapter one, you have the fall. You're a sinner in need of salvation. Chapter two, redemption. Jesus died and was resurrected to be your personal savior. Now, that's true as far as it goes. I mean, but this gospel does not address what it means to be human in the first place. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't address what our own personal salvation is Amen. for other than ourselves. Our personal salvation is not just for us. It's for others. It's for this world. It's for God's glory. And it's a very individualistic gospel that focuses primarily on personal holiness now, Christianity isn't simply a personal faith, or actually Dallas Willard calls it the gospel of sin management. Now, it's not less than that, but it's much more. It's the story of reality. Christ is not simply my personal Savior. He's king over all. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the question is, has individualism invaded our understanding of the gospel of Jesus so much that we have a hard time seeing the gospel in all of its beauty? Because if we don't understand the gospel in all of its fullness and all of its beauty and all that God has done in turn, we won't live out the gospel in all of its fullness. And, and, and it'll suppress our ability to be faithful gospel witnesses for this generation and the next. So this is critical. Our text for today is Mark 1.15, and we're going to be using the Christian Standard Bible version. Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. And here's our focus. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So we're going to have two points today. The good news of the king and the command of the king. The title of this message is The Call of the King. So the call of the king, the good news of the king, and the command of the king. 
The good news Jesus proclaimed, it was monumental on a number of levels. It, it wasn't just personal salvation, it was, it was grander than that. The good news of Jesus is truly good news for us and for our friends and our neighbors. They're asking questions, some of life's, life's deepest questions. They have longings, we have longings. And the gospel should bring relief to some of that. It should bring answers. It should bring comfort. It should bring an eager expectation. Sometimes when we share the gospel, myself included, I, I, I check myself and I think how, did that really sound like good news? That's my question sometimes, and I, I don't know if it always does. And so our friends have personal questions. Hold on, let me try and figure this thing out here. She says, keep it close. All right. Mm, that worked. Okay. So our friends have personal questions. They, they ask questions like, how can I live a good life and minimize my level of suffering? I mean, that's really one of the questions of every, of every human. How can I maximize my life uh, stay, and minimize my level of suffering? What's my purpose in life? These are timeless questions that we have personally as individuals. And then there's uh, what I call communal questions. Like, how can racism, how can slavery, how can oppression, how can these things be ended? Our world is asking these questions. And then there's another type of question I'm going to call cosmic questions. They're grand questions of of the origin of our existence and where we're headed as as a species, as a society. How can mankind continue to exist? What is our purpose on earth as a species? Elon Musk is often searching out how to save the, our species, uh, humankind. I mean, whether it's going to Mars or um, automated cars, uh, there's a lot of things. These are questions, though, that our world is asking, our friends are asking. And so these questions, they've existed since man rebelled against God and our world. See, it wasn't always this way. In the beginning, in, in the beginning of creation, in the beginning, God created everything, that, and it was good. Man walked and talked with God. There was right relationship with God. There was intimacy with God. And the garden, it abundantly supplied everything man needed, man and woman needed. There was right relationship with creation. It was abundant. And then man and woman lived peacefully together. There was no fighting. There was no death yet. There was right relationship between humans, between each other. But then, as the story goes, many of you are familiar with it, man rebelled against God. Man said, God, I don't want you to be my authority. I don't trust you. You're holding back from me. You tell me to not eat of this, this tree. Well, there's, you're, there's something. There's something there. I don't trust your authority. And so man disobeyed God. And God said, if, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And so death and decay became commonplace. Man was booted out of the garden. And the ground was hard work. Childbearing became hard. There was a curse. So there was not only a broken relationship with God, but there was a broken relationship or disorder in creation. And then, soon after, in just a few pages in your Bibles, a brother kills a brother. And there's murder that happens. Blood is spilt. 
and then we see through the pages of scripture that there are wars and there's idolatry and it goes on and on and on. And here we are today. And there's still this, this, this brokenness that we're all in. And it's through Jesus, though, that God heals. He brings wholeness. He brings salvation. He brings restoration. He brings renewal. And this is good news. This is what we're going to be focusing on this morning. And I'm going to say the good news is cosmic, brand, and scope. The good news is personal. Oh, it's right for us, each and every individual. And the good news is communal. Or, or societal, it, it, it brings people together where there's division. And it's not just about the individual. This, this good news, it's, it's all about the time of all creation. It's, like I said, it's personal, it's communal. And so as we look at the beginning of verse 15, we see all the promises of God are wrapped up in Jesus. Here he goes, Jesus proclaims this, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. This is the time. Jesus is on the scene. He's the one that John the Baptist prepared the way for. We read about that in Mark 1, 2 through 8. And now he's on the scene, and this is why Mark uses, he uses the Greek word kairos and not chronos for our word time. The time, the kairos is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. The Greeks had two words for time. I don't always like to get into the Greek, but this is actually pertinent for this text. That it's chronological or sequential in time. Chronos. Think of your watch. Chronos. You got a minute. You got an hour. You got this day. It's, it's very flat. It's sequential. But then kairos is defined as qualitative in the moment time, signifying the opportune time for action. I've heard it often, it's, it's a moment that, that everything is encapsulated. And I've heard someone once say it's a, it's a eureka moment. It's this, this opportune time. Often they used it talking about the seasons because everything came together and then the crops were ready. The gospel is the declaration that Jesus is Lord and that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated in Jesus of Nazareth. And that's what he's proclaiming, and that's what he's embodying. God's kingdom, heralded by Jesus, has now arrived. And that's the picture here. And this was always the plan. This was always the plan. This is not plan B. So since before time began, he, God, he set his divine plan in motion. It, it shows this unparalleled excellence in the magnificence of Jesus Christ. It's, it's cosmic good news. It's grand good news since before time. This meticulous plan of God, it encompasses the entirety of creation and all the, the whole course of history. Every event, every circumstance, every individual is intricately woven into this cosmic tapestry where the, where, where the brilliance of Jesus shines. Everything that we can't even comprehend is to show off Jesus. Amen. And so from the moment of creation, God's purpose has been to reveal the matchless glory of his Son. And in the pages of Scripture, we, we, we witness the unfolding narrative of God's redemptive work with Jesus as the central Figure. You have the prophets that talked about the Messiah, the anointed king coming. Oh, they were looking. They saw the brokenness of the world. They saw the idolatry. They saw that the Messiah was coming. 
They didn't get it in full. But they knew that there would be healing and restoration to our broken world. There was a foreshadowing in all the, the different elements that we read in the Old Testament, whether it's the sacrificial system or the different way God's people gathered and their festivals and all these different things. There was a foreshadowing of Jesus' birth, his life, his sacrificial death, and his triumphant resurrection. And that's what the Old Testament is filled with. We can, we, as we read it, we could see that it's filled with anticipation and longing for the Messiah. Some of these psalms that you read, you're just like, what is going on here? It talks, it laments, it talks about the brokenness of this world. It talks about how, how hard it is and how there is this longing for a healing of our existence. And Jesus is the one it's pointing to. And then you have the gospel accounts. They bear witness to the earthly ministry of Jesus. There may have been broken relationship between God and man since the first act of rebellion, right? There was, there was this broken, the Bible says there was hostility between God and man. We're never, we were never cut off. God was always seeking. He was always with his people. He was, he was working. It often didn't seem like it at times. Often they cried out, where are you, God? But God never was sleeping. God was never just, you know, just ignoring things. But God as he was always working with his people. Now a king proclaims good news here in Mark 1.15. This King Jesus, God in the flesh, God who has come born of a virgin, lived this life, dwelt among us, took on this stuff. He walked among us. He saw suffering. He experienced suffering. He was a human, the God-man. God as a human, 100% God, 100% man. He knows our pain. He knows what we're going through. And when we look at the life of Jesus, God incarnate, God with us, Emmanuel, we see Jesus teaching. We see his miracles as he's, he's showing his power and he's showing his kindness and he's revealing the kingdom, and we see this impact that he has on those that he meets. God has always been near for his people, like I said. But here you have Jesus dwelling with us and showing what it looks like for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. When we look, this, you have the gospel Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark is how the early church titled it. These stories are the gospel. You read the whole thing, the whole book of the gospel according to Mark. You're going to see the good news of Jesus. You're going to see his life that we often miss. We often talk about his death. We point right to the cross. But no, his life is valuable for us to look to, to emulate, to learn what it means to be human. Because he was the perfect human. Oh, thank God for the gospels. As they're written, I'm so glad it's not a, all, all God gave us was a little plan of salvation. Like, he, to see Jesus, to learn from him, and his ways are right, his ways are good. I know sometimes they're hard. Sometimes it's like, oh, I can't do that. I can't live a life of serving others and giving my life, showing mercy as God has shown me. Mercy, like, I, I, it's too hard. But his ways are right. 
when we trust him, when we say, God, you've created me, you've designed me, you've shown me how to be human, I'm going to trust you. It, 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 it does, we flourish. Oh, we don't look like the world's version of flourishing. I mean, our hearts are, in a way, singing as we're close to God. And by his life, we learn how to be human. We see God's plans unfold even more as his promises are filled. As Jesus walks to the cross, he's crucified, he's buried, and three days later defeats our greatest enemy, death, by raising to new life. He raises to new life by, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He triumphs over evil. He triumphs over the spiritual powers of darkness. He triumphs over everything, even all tyrants, all oppressors, all kings, all queens, and even you and me, as we are tyrants ourselves at times. He is reign and rule over all. He paves the way by his life, his death, his resurrection. For us to live eternal. He makes a way for our, our sins to be forgiven and for us to have a new life that's restored in right relationship with our Creator. He's made a way for us to approach God with confidence, to go before His throne. I mean, the fact that I could bring requests to God and I could talk to God and I don't have to clean myself up as some religions do and get all washed up, and the fact that I don't have to have certain incantations. No, God is a, so approachable. He calls us to pray. He calls us to, to, to talk to him. He wants that. Praise, praise God for his, for his closeness, his nearness. He is a God that is actively involved in our lives. He knows us and wants us to know him. Amen. This is personal good news, guys. And then he's seen by many proving his resurrection. So he, witnesses see him. And after that, he ascends to the right hand of God where he rules and reigns over, as king over all. And this is what God has always planned. It's critical that we remember the ascension because it says right after that, he went to the right hand of God. That's where he rules and reigns. Let's remember that because he rules over everything. This is good news of the king. Now after this, the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus says, I must go so the comforter can come. And he goes, and, he, and the, God himself then lives inside of us. God himself dwells with us internally. Those who claim allegiance to him as king. God's people. Individuals who are transformed. We begin to reflect the character of God. We begin, as Romans 8 says, to be conformed into his image. This is the church, guys. This is us, the people of God. It's not a building. It's a people. We're united by that transforming work of God in us. And so we're a people who are becoming more like Jesus. This is communal good news. I mean, right now, even as we, as we sit here, 
we have been united by Jesus. When we sing songs, we're, we're like, like Zach said earlier, we're not, God doesn't need our worship. We need to, we, we're called to worship him. We need to worship him. We need to proclaim these truths. And when you're singing and I'm singing, and oh man, I sing terribly, but it, it reminds you, one, that I sing terribly, and two, that the truths that I'm proclaiming, I'm confessing them. Worship is a time of confession to one another. It's a time of participation. It's not just you sitting in that seat. It's us together, unified, showing the picture of the, 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 God, the cosmic gospel that God is bringing all people together. We are a testimony this morning of what God is doing. This is just a small snippet of what he's doing across the globe and what he'll do in full in the end. Oh, man, it took me so long to understand that. I don't know about you, but there have been times when I've come in late, you know, in my past days. You know, like, like but not, not because I, like, had a zillion things to do. I was just, like, taking my time. But I started getting this new view, this new reality, really, as I approached Scripture and I looked at what God is doing. And then I, I it's like a light bulb just clicked. A people who become more and more like Jesus, those who love as Jesus loved, those who show mercy as Jesus showed mercy. It's unity born of the Spirit, one heart. God is creating a people with a singular heartbeat as they, they join into the mission of God, as they become faithful gospel witnesses. That's why we have five missional priorities. Gospel formation. Gospel formation is the structures and the things that we do to build one another up, to shape one another, to, to, to grow more into the likeness of, of Jesus together. Gospel formation is when we are singing together. Gospel formation is right now, but gospel formation can happen in so many other ways, whether it's as you're at a table eating with other brothers and sisters and you're remembering Jesus. You're talking about Jesus on the way. You're, you're doing these things. There's formation that happens together as we help one another we remind one another of the gospel. We teach one another. We admonish one another. And then there's gospel culture, which is where we're, we have this, this culture that we just, we, we, we love like Jesus loved. We have a humility like Jesus' humility. We're growing in these things. We seek reconciliation because there should not be division amongst us. This is a gospel culture. And then we have gospel mercy. We show mercy to even people who don't deserve it. Like, because we don't deserve it. And so we show mercy. Because we're going to show the mercy is, we've been shown mercy. And so that's a missional priority. And then there's gospel outreach. Just as we, God calls us to gather, he also calls us to go. And we need to go. We need to go outside of these walls and outside of our comfort zones. We need to go where the gospel is not. And we need to cross over these cultural divides. We need to cross over just as God came from heaven to earth and crossed over to, to, to bring salvation to us. We go. And we go as, as, as God's ambassadors, as God's witnesses. Gospel outreach. And then the last one is gospel unity. But unlike what, what it sounds, it's gospel unity as we see we're not just one group of people that love Jesus. There are many other across this city, across this nation, across this world. We're unified with the church Local church global. 
And we always want to have a vision for that. We don't want to say, this is our little camp. We're going to look out for just us. We want to partner with others. And the reason why we have these five missional priorities is because that's what Jesus is doing. He's rest- as he is restoring us and bringing the gospel to bear on us, as we're, as we're becoming and growing more like Jesus, we want to emulate him in every way. In our community, the things that we do, we, the, the way that we are, we have to do this. We are a testimony. We are a witness to the world around. And so they're missional priorities because it's what it means to be a Christian. It's just what I said. It's what it means to have allegiance to Jesus. Amen. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. 19. By the way, I love the amens. I love this participation. It's so fun. <laughs> By the way, even that is gospel formation and it's communal, it's participatory. You know, like I might be speaking, but when you're speaking back, we're doing this together. And so, man, and Jerry agrees. So anytime he's preaching, he does most of the time, just shoot it back to him. I was thinking, I was like, man, I was at this other church the other day and it just reminded me, I was like, oh, that's, that's rich, you know, just back and forth. So thank you for that. Ezekiel eleven nineteen says this, I will give them integrity of heart and put a new spirit within them. These are the promises. He's, Ezekiel's looking to the future. He sees how there's division. The people have turned away from God. And he's, but, but they also, he has hope. He's looking. He's looking and he's kind of getting a, a, a picture into God's plan. He has a vision. He has an, a, a kingdom imagination, we could say, that God has given him. And he's speaking about it. He says, he says this on behalf of God. I will give them integrity of heart. And put a new spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh so that they will follow my statutes, keep my ordinances, and practice them. God says they will be my people and I will be their God. There's this uniting of people with the spirit in them. The law of God will be on their hearts. They will be Walking in his ways. Just think about that cosmic gospel. That is us right now. By the grace of God. He's, he's written his law upon our hearts. We are being molded and shaped to be like Jesus who fulfilled the law completely in every way. And as we become more like him, walking in obedience, we are, we are keeping the law. We are walking in this scripture. We are these people. Now to be sure, the people of God have a variety of gifts. There's many gifts in this room. There's, we're all wired differently. There's different political persuasions. There's different longings and, and passions. But this verse says there's one heart given by one spirit. And God is working in us. He's uniting us as his people. As we live like Jesus, we proclaim his rule and his reign, and we go and we're taking part in God's cosmic plan. We're, we're, t- we're walking into even what this scripture says in Habakkuk 2.14. We are part of this, this vision. It's coming to fruition. It's, it's taking shape through us, God's people. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. God is, God is, we, 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 we are his image bearers. We are his witnesses. As people look at us, 
hopefully by the grace of God, right? As we are transformed, then they see a snippet of Jesus. They see what the kingdom of God looks like on earth as it is in heaven, in part for sure. But talk about purpose. Talk about where the world is, is asking, what is my purpose? What is my role? What was I made for? It's to know God and make him known, to emulate him to the world, to image him. To be part of God's plan, bringing worship and honor to God. I love what Rita shared out of the Webster 1828 Dictionary for the definition of worship. I always joke because I'm like, Webster 1828 Dictionary? But it's good. Listen to this for this definition of worship. To honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. This isn't just a mental thing. This isn't just I prayed a prayer and I did this thing. This isn't just I'm, I'm staying holy. I'm, I'm, I'm staying away from that sin. I, stop that. No, this is, what is worship? To honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. God, you have shown me love. Like you have, you've done this for me. Now I submit to your reign. You are Lord. You're Lord over all. But I, I claim allegiance to you, God. Like, we can't take away his lordship. Like, that's not going away. He's overall already. But man, we bow to him. We trust him. We try and yield our life to his ways. He's a good God. God will restore, he'll heal racial divides, the animosity, the oppression. This is personal and communal good news. We could tell our friends this. We'd say, hey, you might not believe it. I know that. But this is the story I'm walking in. One day, he's going to make all things new. Revelation 7, 9 says this. After I looked, there was a vast multitude from every nation, every tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who's seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Talk about communal restoration. Talk about personal restoration. Talk about cosmic restoration. It's all in there because God's going to make all things new, even creation. We're going to see everyone worshiping in the end together, all tribes, all nations, all people. The Bible starts with creation and ends with new creation. Revelation 21.1 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I saw a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no grief, no more crying and pain because the previous things have passed away. We could tell our suffering brothers and sisters. We could tell those who have no hope of our hope. This world is broken and hard, but man, I long for this hope where God is going to restore all things. He's going to fix all things. And how do I know? How can I trust him? Man, he gave his life for me. He stepped on this earth for me. He loved me so much that he would give his life up for me. And so I trust him and I look forward to being with 
him in the new heaven, new earth. This is good news of the king. When Jesus says the time, the kairos is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near, it's a loaded statement, to say the least. I put a quote in your notes. I'm not going to read it. Change my mind. I'm running out of time. We live in a world of time. I have to submit to that. Kronos. That's right. Um, but let me read this scripture. That, by the way, that verse or that quote, if everyone just grasped that, if you, I mean, it's worth memorizing. It's so good. Anyway, Colossians 1.15 sums it up well, too. This is worth memorizing. Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and by him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In the fullness of time, God's plan will reach its ultimate climax. Jesus will return in glory. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. So Gulf Coast, may our lives bear witness to his greatness. May we have to participate in this divine masterpiece, this divine masterpiece orchestrated by God himself. This is the good news. I only have one more point, it's short. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. This is where we're focusing now. Repent and believe the good news. The Jewish people who heard Jesus' command to repent and believe, and John the Baptist's words prior that were similar, they wouldn't have heard them as a command for an individual. They would have heard it uh, more of a way of changing their ways as a nation, the nation of Israel, to turn back to God. And they hoped that if they turned back to God, they would be liberated from oppression. I mean, the Romans were, they saw that as, as part of, Part of God's judgment on them prior to that, the Babylonians, the Assyrians. I mean, the, the, the Jewish people had rejected God. They walked away from uh, living out justice and righteousness. They, they had turned to idols and worshiping nations, other gods. There was this judgment. They knew this. And they hoped that Jesus would be the one who would liberate them. But they thought that it would happen through force. Jesus had other plans in mind. They had a false idea of who Jesus was, what his rule and reign would look like. My question for us is, like, what have we got twisted? What have we missed? Where, where do we not see what Jesus' rule and reign influences and how we're to live accordingly? And when Jesus says, repent and believe the good news, he, he, he means reorient yourselves. Have a new way of viewing reality. Live into this reality of the kingdom of God. See, it's much broader than stop sinning. Alistair McGrath says the Greek term metanoia means something more like a radical change of mind or a fundamental intellectual reorientation to which we turn away from older habits of thought and action and embrace a new way of thinking and living. Repentance means not primarily a sense of regret, 
but a renunciation of narrow and sectarian human views which are not large enough for God's mystery. It's about a transformed metaphysical vision of reality. It's a fancy way of saying it, but if we view repentance this way, we can see how belief goes hand in hand with repentance. And Jesus, he's he's speaking of a mind change that's just deep-seated in a person's total being. Their values, their choices, their lifestyle behavior, their decisions are all transformed as they view this reality in a new way and change. We, we, and the only way this could happen is if we look through the lens of Scripture to see the reality that God is showing us, to readjust and reorient our lives. And just as we've been sharing over the last few weeks is that we need a kingdom imagination and we need reoriented over and over and over again because the the pulls the forces of culture and when I look to my left and look to my right I'm like yeah I'm doing pretty good but when I look at scripture when I look at Jesus when I gaze at him I learn what it means to show my allegiance I want to show my allegiance with him. When I gaze at Jesus, when I approach scripture and learn of his ways, it changes what, I, what, I'm, what I'm seeing. It, it, it sort of, it sharpens. We can get dull to the ways of God, to the things of God. You give a king allegiance, and so when the king When the king and the kingdom comes, the proper response is behavioral. It's a reconfiguration of loyalties. It's a new reality revealed, and we're called upon to adjust adjust our lives according to that reality. Briefly, we know the story of Zacchaeus. We know how he uh, was a chief tax collector. He was... I asked Judah the other day, I was telling the story about my, my, my youngest son, and I said, after I told him about how he was a chief tax collector and he probably utilized the Romans to beat up other Jew, Jew, Jews uh, who, who wouldn't pay their taxes, and he probably had gold shade and like gold, you know, I'm like elaborating this, and I'm like, good, good guy or bad guy? And, and my, my son Judah was like, Zacchaeus is a bad guy. I was like, good, he's getting it. And then you tell the story more, and, and, and you learn that that Zacchaeus, he saw Jesus, and in, in, in encountering him, he, he, he gave his possessions to the poor, half of his possessions, and four times everything he stole from people, he gave. I said, I tried to help you to see, like, he was pretty broke after that. That was a lot. He gave it all away. He adjusted his life to the new rule of God. He had a picture of what the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven looked like. Repentance is about loyalty and allegiance. It's about hearing the declaration of the gospel and switching sides. good news of Jesus, it's cosmic, it's personal, it's communal. The command of the king is to reorient our lives and give our allegiance to Jesus our Lord. Where have we allowed culture to
to influence us, not only in how we view the gospel, but how we respond to the gospel. This, this is something, I'm, I'm kind of talking slow so that we can think about it, we can reflect on it, we can allow the Lord to speak to us right now. How do we respond to the gospel? And where have we gone, gone off? Where have we lost sight of who Jesus is and his goodness what he calls us to. Another question is, can we share the good news with those who are longing? If we had an action step for this week, maybe it's to chew on some of this. Maybe change the way, maybe, maybe practice with someone in your community group or a friend. and Just talk it out. Man, what does it sound like to tell a fuller gospel? What does it look like to, to, to speak to some of these questions and longings of our culture as we think of the, the cosmic good news, the communal good news, this personal good news? Another question I have is just, are, are you longing? Are you, do you, do you see comfort in the good news? But, or are you, is it hard to see? Is it hard to have joy in Jesus? Is it hard to, claim allegiance to Jesus to see him and say I want to follow him are you longing in a way where you don't have hope but we're all longing in some way for restoration salvation healing renewal and so maybe we all see the good, the good news that Jesus is Lord and he rules and reigns. Amen. So let's pray to that end. Father, we turn to you. And when we even say we turn to you, there's this blessing that we have that we can turn to you and know that you hear us. We know that you care. We survey, as the song says, the wonders of the cross, but we also survey Jesus in all of his majesty. Help us to see more clearly. Ah, God, help us to submit to Jesus' rule and reign. Use our lives, God for your purposes. And for anyone who does not know you, God, would you, would you shine the light of Jesus, the good news of the gospel in a way that would um, help them to claim you as Lord and King. We give you praise, God. Use us this week for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name. Amen.